0: Amen. Well, happy new year to everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? How many of y'all are excited about UK football winning um, uh, yesterday? How many of y'all excited about that? How many of y'all care, sort of? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a new thing. UK wins. It's it's amazing. So uh, congratulations to them. Congratulations to everybody. Guys, we are kicking off a brand new year in this. From what I can tell, now, I've been wrong many times a day, but um, this will be, I believe, the best year in Catholic Christian Church history It really will be. I am so excited about it. I'm glad you guys are joining us in person and online. Um, We are starting a brand new series. Like J.K. said, this year's theme is God First. If you've been around Cattles for a while, you know we have a year-long theme that all of our series tie into. In 2018, it was community. We wanted to develop community. In 2019, it was fruitfulness. We wanted to see what God would do as we faithfully lived out our calling. 2020 was the adventure. Little did we know... What an adventure it would be. Uh, Last year was maturity. We wanted to take our church deeper. We wanted to be a mile wide and a mile deep. And this year is God first. So everything we talk about this year will be about putting God first in everything. So um, what would it look like in your life if God was first? Just what would it look like? I want to let that question just kind of linger in your mind all year long. See, in Exodus chapter 20, verse three, the first of the 10 commandments, God looks at the nation of Israel and says, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm first. That's it, that's the way it is. I'm God, I'm first. No other gods before me. And here in America, we're like, well, no problem. We we don't have gods like over in India, there are 30 million Hindu gods, and we, we don't have those here until we realize that anything that you value or place priority on can be a God by the biblical definition. In 1 John, the the, the Apostle John writes this amazing letter, 1 John, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible, and he leaves the last thing that he writes is dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It just ends like that, like the last thing he wants to say because he knew the power of idolatry in our lives. Have you all ever given a party or invited people over and no one shows up? I I, I read this uh, really sad article that this child, uh, this was out in in Colorado, I believe, this child who had special needs, um, I think had had some some type of special needs child, um, was having trouble making friends, and, and, and his mom invited his entire class to his birthday party, and not one person showed up. Not one person showed up. It was in the park, and the child was sitting there waiting for all the people in the class to show up, and no one showed up. A police officer saw what, it, what was going on, and he called in all of his buddies. He said, listen, we've got a, there's a child here, had a birthday party, no one showed up. Get over here. And so all these police cruisers showed up, sirens going, lights flashing, you know, everything, the cops got out, they brought their canines, they, 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 they brought everything, they brought a, a birthday cake, they brought all these gifts, they brought everything, and all of these cops made the kids' day. But I, I, I just wondered, what was it like for that child for no one to show up? We just uh, hosted a wedding. My daughter just got married in, in, in November. And there were people that we invited that didn't show up. And and I, I remember how that made me feel. You know, when you invite someone and they don't show up, they make an excuse. Uh, you know, you, you've, you, you've all done that. You've, you've had parties. You've invited people over, and, 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 and the ones that bother to, to, that, that to tell you why, they give you the lamest excuses, you know. Uh, we, we had company two weeks ago, and the house is still a mess. Please excuse us. Or, or uh, we, we had laundry to do. Uh, the piles of laundry. We, we, we just can't make it. What are they really saying? They're saying you're not important enough for our time. Isn't that what they're saying? Isn't that what you're saying when you make an excuse why you can't be somewhere? You're just not important enough for my time. And Jesus knows exactly what you're feeling when that happens to you. Believe me. That's what he deals with every day. He even told a parable about it. It's my favorite parable. It's in Luke chapter 14. I want to ask you to to, uh, uh, to turn there. Luke chapter 14, verse 16 through 24 is my favorite parable of all time because I think it describes what we deal with as humans what God deals with more than anything else. I would ask you to highlight this in your Bible, uh, underline it, Uh, uh, tweeted out, whatever it is, this parable talks about us more than anything else in in probably in the entire Bible. Luke 14, 16 through 24, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, everything's now ready. All right, so here's this, here's this landowner, man. He's, he's cooked the fatty calf. He's, he's, he's laid out the decorations. He's got the tables. He's got the table pieces. He's got the food. He's got the place rented out. Man, he's got it decorated. He's got it everything. He is anticipating a huge banquet with his friends. Verse 18, but they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Verse 21, the servant came back and poured this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but There's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out in the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those people who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus tells us how strange we seem to God. People are invited to a great banquet. Now, as a guy, ladies, I don't know about you all, but us guys, it's about food. Right guys, can I get an amen? Yeah, I, I mean, there are people, there, there are wise women who have counseled younger generations of women that the way to a man's heart is where? Through his stomach, exactly, it's through the food, all right? Man, there's this banquet, I'm going, especially if there's venison, okay? I am there, you'd think, a huge banquet, Sounds like a pretty awesome time. People chose insignificant things to do instead. In this parable, Jesus picks kind of three things kind of out of, that were common priorities in this time. Things may be different now, but the concept's still the same. Jesus set a field, a team of oxen, and a spouse. Remember, Jesus glorious invitations to a feast. The invitation to follow Jesus, the intim- invitation to be in relationship with Jesus is to be saved and clean and hope in a future. That's a feast. Amazing that it's not murder or adultery or theft or porn or anything like that that keeps us away from Jesus' invitation. No, no, no no. For all the evil that Satan can do to us, it's a field and a team of oxen and a spouse it keeps us away from the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is what's so dangerous about life, you all. We as human beings continuously choose that which is lesser over that which is greater. What is empty and meaningless over what is satisfying to our souls. We are literally insane, and that's what Jesus points out in this parable, how insane we really are. See, the, what, what truly keeps us distant with God, the first thing Jesus said is, is a field of possessions. The field represented a possession. We, that, that is the thing, Luke 14a, I just bought a field, I must go and see it, please excuse me. How lame an excuse is that? It's a field. How many of you all have ever seen a field? I've seen, I've seen fields, yeah, I've seen. You know, you know, the thing about fields, they're there tomorrow. They're there the next week, they're the, ne- the next month, they're there the next year. That, that's, I mean, seriously people, it's a field. How lame an excuse. But see, the thing is, is that this guy was owned by his possessions. See, we're supposed to own our possessions, but our possessions wind up owning us, and that's what was going on with this man right here. He he couldn't even go to a banquet of a friend because his possession owned him so much, he had to go see it. You know, I have things, and you have things. Everyone does. That's the problem with idolatry, you all. That they're good things. They're in the wrong place in our hearts. They're good things. Everybody has possessions. Everyone has them, okay? That's not the problem. I'm not saying everybody take whatever you get and get rid of it so that you can follow Jesus. No, that's not what I'm saying. No one can do that. What I'm saying is you own your possessions. Don't let your possessions own you because that will keep you away from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I remember studying about Pompeii when I was in fourth grade. See, the kids these days, you guys don't understand what it was like for us Gen Xers to walk into a classroom and there be a cart with a TV and a VCR. How many of y'all remember that? You might, yeah, that you knew there was no lesson that day. No homework that day. That means you were watching TV and it was awesome. That meant your school day was made, right? True? Okay, well that, that's what happened one time. I walked in and there was a cart and a VCR it's really cool, actually. And we studied about Pompeii, about the, the city that was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius when it when it, and, and it was like 44 AD or something like that. And in that class, like I said, we watched the excavation. It was a really cool video. Here it is. I, I remember it from you know 35 years ago. All right. And they were going th- they were excavating the streets, and you could see the perfectly preserved Roman streets and the and the shops and the houses, and you could even see people that had been perfectly preserved by the lava. And the one thing that I remember looking at, they went into this house, and there was a perfectly preserved corpse of a woman in the act of grabbing her jewelry. Right, and she, and her hand was literally in her jewelry box clutching jewels. She saw the lava coming, she saw the, 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 the mountain erupt, the, the volcano erupt, and instead of valuing her life, she could not let go of her possessions, and she went back into the house and grabbed, because she couldn't imagine life without them. And she died that way. I just remember that. That's, that's how possessions own her. And I would argue, you all, that materialism is the greatest challenge to us as Christians. Materialism challenges God in our hearts more than any other thing. You can tell me any sin that's in the papers or in the media or that you see that the the world is going to hell in a handbasket, all this kind of stuff, but I would argue that it is plain old fashioned materialism that competes with God in our hearts for, for the number one spot, our possessions, and everything, I, I'm, I wonder, how psychotic are we? Why do we love things that don't love us back? Why do we give so much of ourselves to things that are just gonna be passed down or be in a yard sale or that we can't take, why do we value those things so much that it would keep us away from the banquet of the King of kings and Lord of lords? Why do we give our best to something that won't give us their best back? We're psychotic, but this man has to go see a field his possessions own him, so he stays away from Jesus. He said, and it's the lamest excuse in the world. The second thing, second guy, He says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on the way to try them out. This was an agrarian society. This was his career. His career kept him away from the king of kings and lord of lords. His desire to earn money. Maybe it's a good thing to support your family, to have an income. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to work hard. Work is a good thing, but it was in the wrong place in this man's heart. And it kept him away from the banquet, kept him away from the king of kings and lord of lords. I have seen more people who were dedicated to Christ and were passionate about Christ. When I was a youth minister, uh, the, the, the teenagers, and, and they were gonna go out and they were gonna serve the Lord, they were gonna serve people, they were gonna bring the kingdom. And instead of doing that, they sold out and went for the money. And they're were, they were miserable, not fulfilling their purpose. They're not doing what the Lord put them on this earth to do. And the career kept them away from the king of kings and the lord of lords. I've seen careers, the desire for success, the desire for accolades, the desire for uh, the promotion, drive people so much that they forget their first love and they go see the team of oxen instead of banqueting with the king of kings and lord of lords. The third thing, and this is the biggest one probably, his family. And one guy said, I just got married so I can't come. Uh, who could blame him? I mean, marriage is a good thing, right? Marriage is a great, This ordained by God. However, this represents all of the relationships that we're in, not just our spousal ones. This is our family, this is our friends. I've seen people get in the wrong relationship with people and, and, and leave the King of Kings and Lord, Lord, leave Jesus because of a dating relationship or because of a friendship because uh, uh, falling in with a group of people that doesn't value Jesus. and I've seen relationships take people away from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like I said, friendships are good, family relationships are good, spouses relationships are good, but when we put them, prize them over Jesus, they are, be, they are idols. Spouses, if you are prizing your spouse over Jesus, you have made an idol out of your spouse, and that is unfair to them, and it is keeping you away from Jesus. Jesus is our number one. He's everything, okay? And what, and what we realize here is that a lot of us wish that this parable could just end right here. You know, the, 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 the guy in, invites everyone, everybody makes excuses, can't come, and the guy just goes, oh, okay, yeah, I, I get it. We wish the parable could end right there, but it doesn't. Check out what, what, what happens here in Luke chapter 14, verse 21. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He became angry? God gets angry at our excuses? Yes, he does. Why would God get angry at our excuses? Why would this bother God so much? God, don't you understand I have possessions? Don't you understand I have to work? Don't you understand I have relationships? Why are you so angry that I can't make this banquet? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus loves you and because he wants to be with you. The people that didn't come to my daughter's wedding that we invited, there were some people that upset me and some people that didn't. Do you know the people that upset me? Those are the people that I genuinely love because what I found out was that I valued them more than they valued me. It was a shocking realization and hurt. It hurts. See, all of us have had friends where you obviously care more about them than they care about you. All of us have friends that the only time you talk is when you either text or call. The only time you get together is when you reach out. If it was up to them, you would never, ever see each other. True? How many of y'all have had friendships like that? Now, um, don't raise your hand. How many of you are friends like that? I don't stay around friendships like that very long. Can I expect God to? See, the Apostle Paul was a convert to Christianity. He was a convert. Everybody say convert. Convert. All right, he was on, the road, he was on a road trip to arrest Christians in the city of, 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 of Damascus. He was gonna kill them and arrest, arrest them and kill them. And he made it his life mission to destroy the church. He made his life mission to kill people like you and me. All right? A blinding light from heaven hits him, he falls to the ground, Jesus speaks to him, and he, he is converted to Christianity on the spot, who, the one who 10 seconds ago wanted to kill Christians, now was, and was on a mission to destroy the church, now he becomes the greatest missionary, in the history of the world. Instead of destroying churches, he plants them. Instead of killing Christians, he makes disciples. Instead of persecuting Christians, he himself is persecuted for his faith. Right For 30 years, he preaches. He plants churches. He goes on four missionary journeys. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's shipwrecked. He sacrifices everything for the king of kings. And Lord of Lords, and, and he, it says that uh, uh, he received a sentence of 39 lashes five times. That means he was hit with a whip 195 times. If you could see his back, it'd be nothing but scars. And at 860, he's again in jail, a Roman jail, and he's writing to the church of Philippi, the book of Philippians. Now, people didn't live much past 60 in those days. That was about the life expectancy. And he writes that, uh, I mean, he, he may die in this jail, probably. He may never get out. He writes that he has lost all things for the sake of Christ. He further states that all of those things that he lost, get this, all those things he's lost, he calls them rubbish, garbage, waste. Something to throw away because of the greatness of knowing Jesus. If I was in a Roman jail, having been through all of that, knowing that I'd probably die in that jail, I wouldn't be writing stuff like that. I'd be writing, woe is me. I'd be sitting there in jail like Princess Vespa, singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know, that, uh, waiting for Lone Star, save me. I I would be doing that. I would would not be writing those kinds of things. But Paul is writing about the joy of knowing Jesus, realizing that even his freedom is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. That's what he's writing. Here he is shouting to the church of Philippi how amazing Jesus is and how everything else in this world is worthless compared to it. See, there's so many things in this world that shout for our attention, you all. And we'd be so much better Christians if we just give them up. We just can't. See, I want you guys to do something for me, okay? Kind of a quiz time. I want you, how many of you all in here are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? You call yourself a Christian. I want to see a show of hands. If you are a Christian today, okay, that's wonderful, awesome. All right, I want you to count up the years you have been serving Jesus. The years you have been a Christian. So some people it's, it's five, some people it's 20, some people it's 50. It's, if you're not a, a, a Christian in here, your number is zero. And I hope that changes by the end of today. I hope that you become a Christian. I hope that you become a follower of Jesus Christ because there's nothing like it. It's awesome. Okay, I hope that. But I want you to get that number in your mind. And I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, like how long you have been following Jesus. Everyone should know that how long you've been following Jesus. The reason I ask that is because I've got an anniversary coming up. See, January 17th, 1992 is my Christian birthday. I'm coming up on 30 years of being a Christian. I look back on those 30 years and I have a very different 30 years than Paul did. See, I I have been following Jesus for three years. Sometimes I've been following him faithfully, sometimes not so faithfully. But I haven't been jailed, shipwrecked, or beaten, and so forth. Compared to Paul, I've had a very comfortable walk with Christ. But I know I'm not where I should be. And I'm, I'm not even where I want to be, you all. And the, reasons I'm, the reason I'm not where I want to be isn't because I'm a murderer or a kidnapper or a thief or because of any of those things that society labels bad that the church would actually preach against. 30 years, I'm, I'm not where I, I should be because I constantly slip into valuing the blessings of God more than God himself. That's it. And for 30 years, I would sum up my walk with Christ as a battle with idolatry. This, see if this sounds familiar. This is, this is what my walk with Christ is like, y'all. I get fired up about Jesus, and he blesses me. Then I get complacent, and then I get comfortable, and then I start taking God's blessings for granted. Stop being thankful. Uh, I start taking God's friendship for granted. He'll always be there when I need him, kinda like a butler, when I snap my fingers, he'll be there to help me out, and soon, I stop responding to God's invitation. I make excuses why I can't do what he wants me to do. God invites me to an exciting new chapter in faith. I tell him, nah, I'm good. This is, the, this is my favorite one. Lord, I put in my time. That's somebody else's job. Or, that's someone else's job. Yeah, I'm good where I am. Nah, I don't think we're gonna do that this year. And and then the the one that that really gets me. Um, God, will this affect me going to heaven if I say no? No? Okay, we're good. Then no. And the words of the apostle Paul, I count it all as rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus just fade away until they aren't a part of my life anymore. 30 years of serving Jesus as a Christian, 23 of those in full-time ministry, and here I am still telling God that I've got a field to go see and a team of oxen to go try out when he invites me to the banquet. See, the reason I love this parable so much is that I am this parable, and so are you. People, God won't accept second place in our lives. He won't, he's God. He loves us too much to allow us to relegate him to a sideshow or a doddering old servant that just wanders around saying, I love you. He knows we're on the path to destruction when we give our best to that which is lesser. The problem with this parable, like I said, is it doesn't stop with verse 20. You know, it doesn't end there. We get to see a little bit of God's heart there. Uh, We we really do, we get to see God getting hurt. We get to see God getting his feelings hurt because he loves so much and to hear people make excuses why they can't be with him hurts the heart of God. We see that in this parable. God takes on this whole new meaning to me in this because I've been there too. I've been there too. And God loves the people he invites. He wants that time. He makes all these preparations. He does all this stuff for these people because he loves them and he wants them to be with him. And they all say, now nah, it field's more important than you. And those excuses make God realize something, that they mean more to him than he does to them. And those excuses are a statement of where the relationship truly is. And so my question is, what excuses are you giving God? That's a statement of your relationship with him. That's why he got angry. And God tells his servants, go find people who won't make excuses. Parable goes on, go find people who don't have fields, who don't have teams of oxen, who don't have any friends, who don't have any excuse not to come in. It says the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the people, the uncool, the people that have nothing. Bring them in here because those people will at least won't give me an excuse. So they go out and they bring in people who won't make excuses. Then he says this, not one of the excuse makers will get a taste of my banquet. And that moment of vulnerability says you can't have, you can't have me or you can have your excuses, not both. And that is the point of God first, and I, I get that. I've been married for 25 years, y'all. I just had my 25th anniversary this past summer. Silver anniversary, imagine that. And I will tell you this. I won't accept second place in my wife's heart. Nor will she accept second place in mine. I'm either first and only or I'm not there at all. For me, if, if, if my wife won't take second place. She's either first or she's not there at all. I can imagine doing a wedding, I do lots of weddings, I'm a pastor, I do lots of weddings. I can imagine leading the couple through the vows, for for better or for worse, richer or for poor, sickness and health, and the groom stops me and says, oh, hey, hang on, hang on, pastor, before you go any further, I need to ask some questions here. And he turns to his bride, who is staring at him, like, what are you doing? And he says this, "Uh, uh, you know, how far is too far with other women? No, we need to get this. You know, how how far can I go before you start getting upset? Can you know? Can can I look? You know, how, how about kissing? Can I kiss before you start getting upset? How how far can I go? Be, see see, because bride, the, the groom would say the the bride. See, you're not even number one. You're you're like I've got like several women, and and you're like two, maybe three or four, down on the list. So, like, how far can I go with these others? No bride in their right mind will go through the wedding with such a man. She would look him in and say, I'm the only one. If I'm not the only one, I'm not there at all. Yeah, that's what we consistently do to God. God, I've got my career. God, I've got my entertainment. God, I've got my sports. God, I've got my hobbies. God, I've got my money. God, I've got my friends. And you're somewhere down around two or three, maybe four, maybe five, God, God won't accept second place in our lives. He's God. And it's about time his church starts treating him like it. Amen? See, I just wanted to say two words for the the year 2022. God first. Number three, God first. In John chapter six, verse 66 through 68, Jesus preaches this God first message and all of the crowd disappears. It is too hard. Can't do it. Too hard, we can't put you first, we're gone. And the entire crowd leaves. From this, many, this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't wanna to leave too, do you? Jesus asked at 12. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We come, have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What does God first mean, you all? Well, this is very simple. God first means this. It means that God gets the first day of the week. He gets the first say in every decision. He gets the first part of our morning. He gets the first tenth of our income. That's what God first means and more. See guys, something is getting those things. Something in your life is getting those things. Something is is some something or someone and if it isn't God, you've got an idolatry problem. Something is getting the first day of your week. There are people that should be here right now that are not online that have given the first day of their week, the first Sunday of the year to something lesser than God. All right? There's something is getting the first say in every decision. There are people that are are, that instead of going to the Word of God or going to prayer to make decisions, they go to media or friends or whatever it is that gets the first say in their decision. There, something is getting the first part of our morning. Something is. Something is getting the first tenth of our income. Something is. So, what is getting the first day of your week? I need to ask that. Sleeping in. Sports, household chores, what is it? What is getting the first day of your week? Is it any of those things? Lord, I've just bought a field, and I must go see it, please excuse me. What's getting the first say in every decision? Media, neighbors, your own selfishness? Lord, I've just bought a team of oxen, and I must go try them out. What's getting the first part of your morning? Social media, TV, news? Lord, I've just got married, so I can't come. What's getting the first 10th of your income? Whatever it is, we're taking what is rightfully God's and giving it to that which is lesser. The Christian says, God first. I'm not giving my best to anything or anyone other than God. For 2022, he gets the first day of the week. I'm not missing a single Sunday of worship with my church family. Not one. If I'm not here, I'm online, but I'm gonna be here because I can't serve God from the couch. I'm not making any more excuses. Nothing but God gets the first day of my week. The Christian says for 2022, he gets the first day in every decision. I'm I'm going to the word of God before I'm going anywhere else when I decide anything. For 2022, he gets the first part of my morning. I'm going to live the old spiritual. Woke up this morning with my mind on Jesus. For 2022, he's the first tenth of my income. I'm not giving what's rightfully God to anyone or anything lesser. Jesus teaches this and the people leave in droves. He looks around and he looks at the disciples, are you going too? And he's asking the same question. Kyle's Christian Church, are you leaving too? Is this too hard to do? Is putting God first, is this too hard to do? Is this too hard a teaching? And the disciples, like us, respond to this, well where shall we go? Where shall we go? You're the Holy One of God. Lord, we are tired of giving our best to that which is lesser. We've been doing it our whole lives. We've seen it. We've seen the wreck that happens. You know, Lord, we're, we're tired of giving our best. We're, we're investing in things that leave us high and dry. We're tired of seeing our friends' marriages fall apart because you weren't first. We're tired of, of, of uh, seeing, our, seeing our, our, our friends just go off the path and destroy their lives because they're following something other than you. We're tired of that, Lord. You know, we're tired of, we're, we're, you're the only one that satisfies our souls. We want nothing but you, all right? Lord, where shall we go? Everything else is rubbish. I invite the band to come on back up. I just would like the people of Catalyst Christian Church, as we start 2022, just to say, Lord, all the things we give to the first day of the week, like Paul said, are rubbish compared to you. Lord, all the voices that we give first say and all the decision and every decision to, Lord, they're rubbish compared to knowing you. Lord, all the things that get the first part of our morning, Lord, they're all rubbish compared to you. Lord, all the things we give the, the first tenth of our income to, Lord, they're all rubbish compared to you. It's all garbage, waste. And Lord, from this point forward, we as a church, as people, as families, are valuing you and you only, you only, above everything else. There's nothing more important than loving you. The main thing, if God isn't first, you all, he isn't there at all, he's God. He won't play second fiddle. He knows himself too well to do that. He won't accept second or third or fourth or fifth place in your life, he won't. If he's not first, he's not there at all. And it's time that we, as people, basically, Like Paul said, everything that I've lost, everything, it's all waste, rubbish, garbage compared to the banquet of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to invite you to stand up and let's go into 2022 telling Jesus he's first.